Welcome to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast for dog guardians. If you find yourself in precarious predicaments with your dog, this podcast is for you. I'm a certified professional dog trainer and I take my 10 years of training experience and I share easy to implement dog training advice with an emphasis on kindness and compassion. Welcome. I'm so excited to share more. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast. I am so delighted to have you with me today. You will have to forgive me. My voice is a little scratchy. I've got just a little bit of a cough going on, so hopefully it's not too unbearable to listen to me speak today. I'm drinking my tea, so hopefully I can get through this podcast and it can be enjoyable to listen to and you can also learn some things. So in today's episode, I'm going to talk about competing motivators, what they are, how we can use them to our advantage, how we can work through them if we can't use them to our advantage. But before I jump into today's topic, I wanted to tell you just a couple of things. So first thing I want to tell you is that we are hosting another recall training challenge. And what that looks like is you invest in our digital course, Trustworthy Recalls. And as a bonus to the digital course that is a 21-day training system for getting a trustworthy recall, you also get to join us for three live Q&As where we coach you and we walk you through the whole recall training process. We did a recall training challenge in March and the feedback was incredible. People were just so happy to have the support and the motivation to do it. I think that a lot of people have the best intentions when it comes to recall training, but they don't actually put in the time and energy and do the work. So if that sounds like you and you have time in May and June to commit to training your dog's recall, please join us. You know, I love recalls. Training recalls is one of my most favorite things ever. So I'm really looking forward to connecting with the beautiful people who enroll there. In addition to the recall training challenge, we also have a brand new digital class. It's called, uh, it's a consent and care class. So we've done several uh, virtual workshops and those were so successful stuff. And I had so much fun in those, but we realized that our students needed a little bit more guidance and a little bit more support. So we have turned the consent and care workshop into a consent and care virtual course. It is five weeks long and that is starting in May also. So if you are new to consent and care, we've done a couple of episodes on consent. So you can go to the Disorderly Dogs website and you can search uh, in the, through the search, search function on the website. You can search consent and those episodes will come up and that can give you some more insight. Consent and care is a protocol that I have taught and trained to fluency with Waylon and it is so helpful and I know that a lot of you have dogs who struggle with handling grooming vet care and consent and care can be hugely hugely helpful for that so those are the things we have going on in May and June for training um so yeah let's talk about competing motivators shall we so in preparation for today's episode I was I was really getting clear on the distinction between a motivator and a reinforcer. And a motivator is different than a reinforcer because a motivator encourages, in this case, our dog to partake in an activity or do something, while reinforcement encourages the same dog to do something that has already been done before. So the motivator's they exist outside of reinforcement, right? They can absolutely cross over, but they're also different. 
And in today's episode, I really want to walk you through and help you understand what competing motivators means for your dog and how we can either leverage that or work through that. So when we're talking about competing motivators, we're talking about something in the environment that the dog is motivated to engage in in place of another behavior, whether that's a behavior we want them to do, maybe that's a behavior we don't want them to do. This is always happening, right? And I will say that competing motivators are not just limited to dogs. Obviously, this applies to to people too, but I, I wanted to walk you through specifically what it means for your dog so that you have just a little bit more insight. So competing motivators are something that come up every day for your dogs, whether you know it or not. And there's a lot of competing motivators that you can't necessarily control, right? So maybe your dog's sniff drive, maybe their prey drive, um, maybe their trash eating drive, like we talked about in the previous episode. Um, There's a lot of things that can motivate your dog in the environment that you can't necessarily control, but you can get creative about maybe using that motivator to your advantage. So In all of my work working with reactive dogs, competing motivators is something that comes up a lot because specifically when it comes to reactive dogs, right? So if you've worked with us, you already know this. If you're kind of new to the dog training world, I want to just give you a little insight on this. So when we start working with a reactive dog team, we always have them write out a triggers list, right? Like what are specific things that trigger your dog? And something that always comes up is that our clients feel like it's not always consistent, right? Like sometimes dogs trigger their dogs, but not always. And while there's a lot of factors that go into that, part of that is competing motivators. And something that if you've worked with us, you've heard us talk uh, in a lot of depth about is that if we have a competing motivator in place, right, maybe strategically or accidentally, we can leverage that and that might be a alternate behavior to reacting in this particular circumstance. So I want to give you uh, an example here. So you are out walking your dog who can be leash reactive to dogs, Okay, so you see a dog, but your dog is busy sniffing, right? So they're busy sniffing and they notice the dog, you notice them notice the dog, but they go back to sniffing. In this particular circumstance, the competing motivator is the smell, right? Whatever they're entrenched in, whatever they're smelling is more important to them in that moment than the other dog. And that's a circumstance where I would be less likely to intervene with some sort of positive reinforcement training and I would be more likely to let my dog engage in the competing motivator knowing that they're less likely to react because they're already engaged in this sniff. Right. And obviously there's lots of subtle nuance here and every dog is an individual and this might might not ring true for every single dog. But if your dog is actively engaging in a different motivator it's less likely that they're going to be triggered by the dog. And I think that a lot of times that explains some of the inconsistencies in reacting because our dogs are 
constantly being challenged by competing motivators. And in that moment, sniffing, engaging in the sniff is more important to them than reacting to the dog, right? The the motivation to sniff is higher than the motivation to react to the dog. And like I said, this isn't always going to ring true for every single dog, but I wanted to give you some general frameworks so you can look at your individual's dog, your individual dog's behavior and consider, is this a competing motivator? Sometimes competing motivators work to our advantage, right? So I want to give you another example of this. So when I am out hiking on trails, leash trails, narrow trails, we have to pass people. If Waylon is actively engaged in sniffing, I don't do anything if we're going to pass people because I know that the motivation to sniff is higher than his motivation to interact with people. Right. So that's good feedback for me that if I'm out hiking and he's actively sniffing, that competing motivator is actually working to my advantage, which means that I don't really need to do any management or training surrounding passing the the other hikers on the trail because his motivation to sniff is higher than his motivation to interact with people, right? So that's an example where a competing motivator is working to my advantage and it's helping inform my decision-making whether I need to do any management or training with Waylon or I don't, right? And oftentimes I don't, right? Because Waylon would much rather just pass this person and keep on sniffing and doing what he was doing, right? So that's an example where a competing motivator, I'm leveraging that, I'm using that, right? It's actually kind of working to my advantage, right? And I think that a lot of you have really heavy sniffy dogs. I mean, let's be honest, all dogs like to sniff, but I know that a lot of you have dogs who sniffing is life. And that's a circumstance where um, we can utilize that competing motivator to our advantage in certain circumstances. But then on the flip side of that, Maybe Waylon is on the long leash and he is sniffing and I want him to come when I call him, right? In this circumstance, the competing motivator is working against me, right? Because he would rather sniff than come when I call him, right? So that's something that I would probably (laughs) take that information. And if he's on a long leash, I'm probably just not going to recall him because I already have the management in place and I know that the competing motivator is going to work against me in that particular circumstance. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to recall him eventually, but I might be a little bit more strategic about waiting until he is done sniffing before I call him so that the competing motivator is not working against the behavior I'm trying to get Waylon to provide. So competing motivators are something that they're basically either going to work for you or they're going to work against you. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? It's just intrinsic. That's just happening. But we have to make sure that we understand those competing motivators so that we can utilize those in our training plans, right? So like I was saying, if I have a competing motivator, Waylon is much more interested in like staying on the scent of an animal or something like that. And that is competing with the other behavior I want him to do, which is a recall, I'm going to be really strategic about not competing against the thing that I know is already motivating him. Instead, I'm going to utilize that and use that to my advantage, right? So something you hear us talk about on this podcast a lot is using the very thing that distracts your dog as the reinforcer for the behavior you want, right? So what I do is I take a competing motivator and I actually leverage that and use that as a reinforcer. So my dog is 
in this case, Waylon, is motivated by sniffing, right? So he's out and he's sniffing and I wait until he takes a pause in the sniffing, right? So the competing motivator has been diminished slightly. That's when I would recall him. He comes back to me. I utilize food as the reinforcer and then I release him back to sniffing. So I've utilized that very competing motivator to reinforce the recall, but I've done that strategically. Right. And honestly, these days I can call Waylon out of almost any sniff, but that's about six years of utilizing this very process that I've told you. Right. So competing motivators are one of those things that like I'm definitely noticing a lot of competing motivators for spicy that don't have the training and reinforcement history that Waylon does because, I mean, she's only nine months old, right? So there are definitely circumstances where I am letting Spicy engage in the competing motivator, and I'm not trying to work against that. That doesn't mean that I'm not still laying the foundation for like those baby steps of behavior so that I can get those behaviors to work even with competing motivators, but I'm wise and I'm realizing that if she is actively distracted by something, recall calling her is not going to work. So I'm not going to do that because that's going to work against what I'm trying to build, right? So I'm letting her be distracted. I'm letting her be motivated by something that's competing for her attention in, in the environment. But I'm taking all of that information and realizing that, you know, the competing motivator is in place right now. But that doesn't mean that slowly but surely my training plan won't be able to hold up and build up to working even with competing motivators. Okay. So competing motivators are something that are, like I said, they're basically always in place. That's always happening. And I want you to be a little bit more observant in those moments of like, okay, There's a particular circumstance where you're trying to get your dog's attention and it's not working, (laughs) right? Because they are motivated by something else in the environment. That is good data about how we can slowly but surely build a training plan to work against that, right? Or it might be the flip side of, especially in the case of reactivity, right? Like especially in the case of like the, the stereotypical lungy, barky, reactive behavior, competing motivators can actually totally work to your advantage, right? And I think that competing motivators are one of those things that it just depends on the dog, right? Like it it depends on the dog. It depends on the environment. It depends on the circumstance. Sometimes we can put competing motivators in place. Sometimes we can't. Sometimes they show up and they work to our advantage and sometimes they show up and they work against us. But competing motivators are always at play, for you, for me, and for our dogs. And the better we can understand those competing motivators, I think that it does a couple of things. Like I was saying, not only does it help us create a better training plan and understand like what is capturing our dog's attention in these moments when we want their attention and they can't give it to us, but I think that it also offers some empathy and a little bit more clarity on why our dogs behave a certain way instead of internalizing it and taking it personal and making it this power struggle that it doesn't have to be, right? So I think that when we're looking at competing motivators, we can use those to our advantage, right? So I'll give you another example of utilizing competing motivators to my advantage. So something that I'm working on with Spicy is not jumping up at people as they pass us. It's really only on the trail. When we're out on walks, we have enough space and it's easy to prevent. But on the trails, when we're passing in closer proximity, she would 
definitely just jump at people giving the opportunity and like she's just trying to say hi it's not like she has any malicious intention but regardless it's not something that I want her to practice or get good at because trails are a big part of our life and I would really rather that she just walked politely past people (laughs) instead of jumping towards them so something that I allow always is my dogs to sniff a lot right and something that I definitely try and utilize is that if she is actively sniffing in something I encourage her to keep keep doing that while the person passes. So I'm utilizing that competing motivator to my advantage, right? There are a lot of factors there, right? Because if the person talks to her, makes eye contact, then the competing motivator shifts, right? And sniffing is not as motivating as saying hi to the person. But that's something that I do try and leverage and utilize in those circumstances, right? While Waylon, if he's sniffing Almost every single time if he's sniffing, he'd rather keep doing that than greeting people. Spicy is not as consistent with that, right? Like sometimes she'll keep sniffing and sometimes she just will stop sniffing and she will lunge and try and jump on people. So that's something that I'm having to pay attention to. But if she's engaged in a really good sniff and I can create just a little bit of space, I let that competing motivator work to my advantage so I don't have to do as much management or training, right? And while you all know, right, I love training. I love creating creating elaborate behavior modification plans. I love coaching you all on this. I also live in the real world where we cannot be training 24-7. Our dogs are learning 24-7. Yeah, that's happening. But it's like we don't I don't have the bandwidth to be training 24-7 every single time I'm out with my dogs, right? Am I doing a lot of training? Of course I am. But when we can leverage competing motivators, when we can utilize those to our advantage, so we have to do less. It requires less energy on our part, requires less energy on the dog's part. That's something that I absolutely want to utilize. And those of you who have worked with us inside of Reactive Redefined, you have heard me talk about this time and time again, right? Like looking for those exact scenarios where we can let our dogs continue to engage in competing motivators and know that they're going to stay under threshold and they are not going to react. Again, this is on a case-by-case basis, right? We have to know the individual dog, their learning history, the fuel for their reactivity. But a lot of times, if your dog is actively engaged in a competing motivator, it's less likely that they're going to tip over threshold, right? Not always, but less likely. We're talking probabilities here. So competing motivators are one of those things that oftentimes they are intrinsic, right? So that's something that, you know, comes pre-programmed. So using their nose, searching out prey, right? But then sometimes there's extrinsic motivation, right? And that kind of bridges the gap into reinforcement, right? Where the dog has learned. So like trash eating, for example, right? Waylon has learned at this one particular park um, that we go to almost every day. There is frequently trash and he has gotten really lucky and gotten trash there. So that motivation is a little bit more it's, it's fueled by more reinforcement history, right? Because he's tried something and he's done it while sniffing is just a little bit more innately motivating because he came pre-programmed with a lot of scent receptors, right? All of our dogs do. But regardless of the nuance between motivator and reinforcer, when we're looking at competing motivators, I think it can be really helpful for creating really great situations where you do nothing. But alternatively, I think that competing motivators can be also really awesome for leveraging really good training opportunities, right? So 
Competing motivators are always at play. And I want you to be observing that, right? When you're out on a daily basis, what would your dog rather do in place of whatever you want them to or to not do, right? And what is competing for their motivation to engage in certain behaviors, right? I think that the more objectively we can look at this, the easier it becomes to utilize those competing motivators to our advantage instead of being frustrated with our dogs for being um, motivated by something that's competing for their attention in the environment, right? So everyone, competing motivators are a subtle, nuanced concept that I think that the more we can embrace this, the more successful we can be out in the world with our dogs. Everyone have a beautiful weekend. Smooch those puppies for me. And I am already looking forward to the next episode. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you need help with your dog's behavior, you can learn more about our training services at agoodfeelingdogtraining.com. We post training inspiration and training tips almost daily over on the Instagram at agoodfeeling underscore NCO. If you like this podcast, we would be so grateful if you could share it with a friend or family member who could benefit from all of the information. Um, It's been a total delight. We love this podcast so much. And thank you so much for listening to Disorderly Dogs.